Hello, and welcome to The Next Great Car Era, a podcast by EV Tuners. I'm your host, Daniel Martin, and today I'm joined by Jeff Budd, or as many of you might know him from Instagram, Red Goes Green. Jeff is the owner of a red 94 Acura NSX, which he has rebuilt with a Tesla Model S motor, hence the name Red Goes Green. But most importantly, this build adds significant horsepower to one of the most celebrated chassis from the 90s, and due to his battery choices, is still very light and nimble. We dive into details about Jeff's racing background, the history of his NSX, the build specifics and part choices, and what's next for this awesome ride as he dials it in for daily commuting and spirited weekend drives. Hear all that and more right now. Enjoy. Jeff, welcome. Thank you so much for carving out the time today to chat with me. Oh, thanks for having me on, Dan. Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, before we dive in, maybe you could do a little bit of an introduction and brief background for folks who might not uh, know who you are. Uh, sure. Uh, my name's Jeff. Uh, I am the builder slash owner of uh, Red Grows Green, which is a EV swapped NSX. Uh, but before uh, EV swapping and the NSX in general, um, I have been into Miatas and uh, building kit cars and just amateur racing. Uh, so cars have been a thing I've done for quite some time, but uh, only recently jumping into the EV scene. Very cool. I was thinking about you uh, last, so not not a couple days ago, but the following the weekend before that, I went to Big Willow for the very first time. I think I told you it was going to happen, and it did pan out. And man, what a good time! It was super fun. Oh man, that first track day is just so much fun. I feel like there's just so much you can learn that first day, but like trying to absorb it all. And, <laughs> oh. Yeah. I I'm glad you had a good time. I did. I'm looking forward to the next one. But man, I have a lot to learn. The car is so much faster than I am. And uh, but it was really neat seeing everyone else's cars. I mean, there was a there's a ton of people there. I think three EVs total. But like, it was just cool to see all of the different cars and how they were setting setting up. And there's lots of people in the HPDE, the high performance driving experiences. But then there was also time trials and even some more like kind of competitive professional level races that uh, that were happening. Um, you know, they break it. I think of it as like a track meet or a swim meet. They break it into different heats and you go out for 20 minutes and do your thing. And then the next group comes in and there's really a broad range of folks and skills from like me, who is just learning to people that were, you know, sponsored and company cars and uh actually doing meaningful races <laughs> i i mean you got to start somewhere so i you know i, I don't think Heck it's yeah you know the meaningful races versus the people who are just starting it, it's it's all great that everyone's out there and having fun um did you uh let someone else uh drive your car with you riding i feel like that's one of the like really eye-opening experiences uh not just when you're mm. new but you've been driving for a while it's just uh you know, having someone else show you like, oh, I'm the one who was holding the car back. Yeah. Um, no, but that's a good idea. So um, I did the like ride along. It worked out really great. A, a co-worker of mine 
a guy, a friend that I know, I realized, and we kind of discovered like, oh, we're both in the cars and he's an instructor with them. So I was able to like get him uh, to, to be the one riding along and helping me for HBDE one, you have to have an instructor in the car. So I knew the guy and we had a, a background and uh, had hung out before. So that was really cool. Uh, but we didn't, we didn't uh, swap, but maybe next time that's a good idea. Yep. I mean, it just, it really shows you like, oh, wow, it, it's, it's me. <laughs> yes. Well, I'm pretty certain of that for sure. But um, it would be interesting to see because I, you know, as I'm learning, how much is acceptable slide? How hot do you go into corners? I'm still kind of easing into that. Whereas the guys that are really experienced, that's kind of second nature for them. Um, what I, what may feel out of control to me, they're like, oh no, that's totally within margin. Yep. And you know, once you're more used to the car and the track, you start having a more bandwidth to look around and understand like, okay, where's someone else on the track or making, thinking about, you know, more than just the very next turn, but like, okay, what are the next two turns and how do I line up for that? And yeah, that's, it's so much fun. So can you actually dive in maybe a little bit more into your past in motorsport and the types of things that you did? Kit cars, Miata, I think you said there was a, and maybe 24 hour of lemons. There's a couple different things you did. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so I had friends who were in the Miatas. Uh, I guess that was somewhere in my mid twenties. And, uh, in the end I, I, I bought one, uh, I actually bought it with the intent of taking the motor out and putting it in a triumph spitfire that I had at the time. Uh, oh, cool. I, yeah. I mean, that was the plan, but then I drove the Miata like, cause I, I bought a running Miata from a friend and yeah. I was like, this is actually a really fun car. Like, it's going to be a lot of work to put all this in the Spitfire. And so I ended up selling the Spitfire and just keeping the Miata. Um, that one, I put a turbo on. Um, oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, Mega squirt. And, you know, started getting into like tuning the car. Um, and then I was going to uh, track day. So HPD events um, and doing that. Uh, there's a big, there's a yearly Miata event. So I would, you know, go to that down at Laguna Seca. Mm. Um, so it's, it's different places now. Um, and it so moves around I, probably right yeah well when mazda used to sponsor laguna sega and so oh, okay laguna sega then and now that they don't sponsor it anymore it jumps around to different places hmm. um yeah so so i did that uh for a few years just hpd having fun with driving the car building you know building out the uh the turbo on the car um and then I had known about this. There's a, a kit called an Exoset, um, which is basically a, a tube chassis with Miata everything else. Hmm. Um, so you take a Miata, you make it not very aerodynamic anymore, but you remove about a thousand pounds from the car, um, which is that's substantial. Yeah. yeah. And, and so I, I came across a kit that someone had started but hadn't finished. Um, and so I bought it for pretty cheap. Um, and put that together, uh, got it registered in California. So it's a street legal go-kart basically, like literally tubes <laughs> and a motor and a seat and you're just driving around on the street. Um, so I had a lot of fun with that. Uh, in the end, having uh, a go-kart on the street, like, you know, it, it was fun, but it like wasn't the most practical thing to drive. Um, and so there's another Miata kit car called uh, the Catfish, which actually isn't in production anymore. Um, and so I found someone selling a body for that, 
uh, and you know did a bunch of measurements and thought about it and you know the the wheelbase for both of these kits is Miata like they didn't change anything about that and so uh, I drove down to LA rented a, a U-Haul and picked up this you know expensive fiberglass body and drove it back home and like put it on my tube chassis car and was like well it does actually fit um, and so I still have that car uh, so it's no longer it doesn't look like a go-kart anymore now it looks you know more like a, a weird exotic um, oh you know, cool you, you step into the cabin there's no doors like <laughs> um, no roof like uh, so and, and you know I, I still take that to track days that's my track car um, so and had fun with that for a while and then ultimately some friends of mine were like hey we want to do lemons or we want to do lucky down we want to go race a real car wheel to wheel and I was like you know what that sounds great uh, yeah and so I me and some friends, we bought an Integra, uh, and uh, I welded in the roll cage for the car because you actually have to have like real safety equipment when you're doing wheel-to-wheel -wheel racing. Uh, and we built the car up to be safe, and we took it out and we uh, raced uh, Lemons. I think was our first race, and then we started doing Lucky Dog as well because I mean, the car was a little too nice for Lemons realistically. Um, mm. You know, as this 24 Hours of Lemons is. It's supposed to be a, a cheap car that you put safety equipment in and go race. Um, and part of, and they, you know, encouraged themes and silliness, but we had just built an Integra. It wasn't like, <laughs> there was nothing too silly about it. And the only reason it was, you know, cheap enough to really race is because uh, it had been uh, B20 swapped before we bought it. So it couldn't be registered in California, which makes it a perfectly fine race car. Yeah. Oh, interesting. You kind of lucked out in that regard. Yes, we did. Uh, though, like, I think it was the night before our second race, uh, I changed the oil on the car and it came out milkshake and which means the head gasket had gone and we're like, oh no. And like, it's literally the night before. And so no machine shops available and this, you know, doing some crazy stuff. We got, uh, I have a glass coffee table and we spray adhesive sandpaper to the coffee table and uh, literally uh, surface the head by sliding it back and forth across uh, sandpaper on a flat surface. Uh, Whoa, that's creative. I mean, I had read that this was a thing that you could do. And I was like, well, I, I, it's either we do this or we don't race. Yeah. Kind of like, you know, that, you know, ethos continued out throughout the, you know, just make the car work. <laughs> um, and uh, we actually ran with that surfaced head for uh, many races and it just totally worked which <laughs> I, I did it i was like well we'll put a couple hours in it'll either work or it won't and i was very impressed uh with the results i'm uh, impressed too that's yeah. awesome and and there you go there's the character of the car <laughs> yes they uh, wanted that for lemons well <laughs> <laughs> here's the picture here's proof of us doing something real dumb yeah <laughs> um yeah, and so since then, um, I, I've raced with some other friends in a different Integra. Um, I've gone up to uh, Washington and Oregon and raced with some friends up there who have a BMW E46 uh, mm. that they also do. Um, I think the best experience I've had, so like it's the 24 hours of lemons. Very few of the races are actually 24 hours, like through the oh, night. Really? Okay. Uh, usually, it's usually like seven or eight hours on Saturday and seven or eight hours on Sunday and that night, you know, everything shut down. Um, but uh, I did get to race the E46, in a true 24 hour race uh, at ORP uh, up in Oregon. And, you know, 
watching the sunrise while you've been racing the car for you know the past 16 or 17 hours it's just like it's a crazy thing to be going around the track uh and you know the i did a midnight stint uh and having those you know headlights of the much faster cars just like coming up behind you super fast and it's like oh man i'm barely aware of where the next turn is and i have to like not get hit too um it's i don't know I feel like when you're actually racing wheel to wheel, like it, it's a time when you can really like you have to be completely focused on what you're doing. And yeah, as soon as you find yourself like drifting and thinking about something else, like you're not in the race anymore. You need to like call in and be like, hey, get me out of the car. Someone else needs to be driving this. But like it's a great like just so much focus just driving the car like that. So uh, I think that's one of the really cool things about racing and or driving performance driving is that it forces you to be so focused it's almost meditative because you have to be and at a time i mean we all have so many things going on it's tough to focus sometimes but this is a way that everything melts away and you're just thinking you're just really present that's kind of cool yeah absolutely like that, that feeling you know you get out of the car and you're like well that was two hours I mean, that, that's general, two hours is the general stint uh, in the uh, Lucky Dog or Lemons is what we're generally doing. Like, okay, I was going to ask. That's a long, I mean, I did 20 minutes going around on HBDE and it's like, that that felt long. So two hours is, is I mean, you must be tired at the end of that. Yeah, it, I mean, you're physically tired, but you're also like mentally like, okay, I've just been like really focused for two hours straight. I need yeah. to like car and like decompress and like... Drink some uh, water. <laughs> yes. Well, fortunately, you know, we have uh, water, you know, like water tubes in the race car. You're in the Oh, okay. Um, you, you drink water and uh, we have a cool suits. So like, because you get hot. Um, and so that we have, you know, ice water pumping through tubes on, under your race suit. Sweet. I've seen those. I always thought that they sounded incredibly comfortable. It's, really <laughs> it's like, nice. I just want one in the summer to walk around, I think. <laughs> uh, yes one of my friends who has the e46 up in oregon uh it got or in washington it got real hot up there last summer and he literally yeah. sat in the living room with the cool suit on <laughs> <laughs> i love that yeah so uh, racing in your future more are you gonna are you kind of taking a break from that or when the friends call came to go yeah so i i don't own like i, I have the kit car which is good for track days but i i don't own a, a actual race car at this point and so i'm mostly just racing when other you know friends of mine have cars that are available and want to drive so i think we're signed up in november and that's like the next race that i'm actually thinking about doing cool um, so uh you know I, I recently had a kid and that's like tapered back on like my ability to actually go like <laughs> race a lot and but it does mean I'm, I'm home more which means i get to spend you know when she goes to bed i go out to the garage and work on the car uh, yeah. Uh, so the car, let's, let's start talking about that a little bit. Um, the, maybe we can start at the beginning with uh, the history, NSX, how you got into them and how you found this one and got the idea of EV swapping it. Sure. I, I mean, in general, I, I wanted to EV swap a car for quite some time and, oh, okay. Know, it didn't make sense for a long time with you know lead acid and forklift motors and like i was just like that's not really what i want to do and then you know 
Teslas and Leafs and you know all of these like modern EVs built by manufacturers at scale started coming out and it's like okay technology is getting there um, and then the NSX itself is just I mean it's a gorgeous car that you know it I've is. Wanted for a long time and I actually about three and a half years ago I tried to buy one uh, it, it was offered to me at what is now an amazing deal and I was like oh how about we take off like two grand and the seller was like no and, and I, I should have just done it and I didn't mm -hmm. but I've taken myself like ever since that, like as I watched <laughs> the prices just climb up I'm like how did I not just buy that car um, and, and so you know when I was saying like oh I should I think I actually want to EV swap a car. Let's go do it. And I was like, oh, let's go look at NSXs. And, uh, you know, I looked around and the prices are pretty high. Mm -hmm. um, but ultimately, I, I found one that uh, had a lot of miles on it, wasn't the cleanest car, um, and the original motor was already gone. So, like, it, it seemed that it lined up well. And because the original motor was already gone and had so many miles, it was, you know, cheaper it was still more expensive than the completely functional car that i could have bought like three years ago yeah <laughs> but at some point i have to say well i think this trend is just going to continue so i might as well hop in now like when it i, I can do it i might as well yes uh, and, and so uh, interesting thing like the nsx is uh mid-engine wow. and it's transverse so it's you know kind of like you took a front wheel drive drivetrain and put it in the back of mm -hmm. the car um, and that actually works pretty well with uh, a Tesla drivetrain because the Tesla drivetrain is effectively, you know, a differential and a motor and an inverter all just in one little package. Um, and so if you have like a front engine, if you have a front engine rear wheel drive car, you know, the motor is longitudinal and that doesn't really work well with like a Tesla motor because uh, it's meant to be run uh in the other orientation with right. CV coming out. And, and so with the NSX, it actually lines up great, you know, it fits really perfectly in the, the width of the engine bay. There's about two inches on either side of the motor. That, that was a big thing when I was wow. buying it. I was like, I asked the seller, like, can you measure like literally between the frame rails? Cause like, if this motor doesn't fit, if it's like two inches too wide, what am I gonna do? I'm not gonna cut up the, you know, aluminum chassis of the NSX to try to get this motor in. Um, and so I got super lucky when he sent me the numbers and I was like, well, that, that seems like it'll work. I might as well just like, I'm going to pull the trigger. And so the, the car was on the East coast and I, I bought it without having ever seen it in person or measured anything in person. And it just, uh, you know, got it rolled off wow. the, uh, auto transport. And I was like, well, there it is. <laughs> That's amazing. That's great that you got lucky too. I mean, it couldn't have worked out better. Yep. Yep. And, you know, and now, you know, there are like people who are like, oh man, you ruined an NSX. And I'm like, no, I didn't. Like this car was already like well on its way to being ruined. I took it and made it a functional fun car. Sure. Yeah. There's you know, always people that are like, that uh, are purists. Um, yeah. I mean, there's folks that like only like classic cars that are restored with like the exact same engine that was in it. And then, and if you do a engine swap, it's a travesty. Um, it's gotta be numbers is, matching, man. Right. Right. Uh, but I guess my, my take is that what's cooler than any of that is seeing cars on the road still, 
Uh, it's less and less. I mean, it's almost never you see NSXs on the road. A lot of the 90s cars, the tuners cars in California, especially, they're just not on the road that much anymore. And so getting one back on the road is a win in my book. Absolutely. And I mean, that that's my goal for the car, too, is just to like drive it and have fun with it. I'm not building like I have the kit car that I can go on the track with. I have friends with race cars. I don't need to like build it to be this you know, crazy thing. I just want to get out there and have fun. And sure, it makes like twice as much power as it did stock. That's fun, <laughs> but like not yeah. like necessarily a requirement. <laughs> Are you going to uh, maybe take it to drag strip or anything like that? And maybe not wheel to wheel racing, but a little bit autocross, anything? I, I have been thinking about it. Um, I, I will probably go to an autocross. I will definitely go to the drag strip. Um, I've got a friend with uh, LS swaps, uh, you know, C10 that he likes to, you know, take to the track or sorry, to the drag strip. And sure. So, you know, there's Wednesday night, bring your streetcar, run whatever you brung kind of races up at Sonoma. And so my plan is to later this summer be up there with the car. There's still a lot of work I got to do. Like I, I would be uncomfortable taking it down a drag strip right now, personally, um, just from the fit and finish of, you know, some of the work on the car. And so it's, you know, still very much a work in progress, but I do want to get to the point where I'm comfortable taking it to the track strip. Um, in, in reality, like, so I, I took it to Holly High Voltage last year. Um, I'm still waiting on the dates. I'm hoping to go this year, but my plan is, you know, if it's possible to actually do like the, I think it's the grand champion thing where you do autocross, drag strip, uh, a lap around the track and do all of those in the car so that'd be cool yeah whereas last year i just did car show because like it roll technically but <laughs> actually really drive and so this year i'm like oh i've got like you know i've done over 150 miles on the street in the car so i know that it like mostly works <laughs> yeah that that definitely counts now yeah <laughs> so the uh can we get it into the build a little bit more you mentioned you're using the tesla unit so that that's your your motor and uh um, some gearing going straight out to uh, uh the axles go in there right same kind of transverse mounting what about batteries and battery management cooling things like that sure um so uh, we'll start with the motor it's a tesla large drive unit uh i'm running an open inverter control board which is the open source control board that you know it's got a million parameters that you know, you can tweak to make it run better uh, or worse, depending on how you do it. <laughs> um, I'm using that because the motor needs to spin backwards. So I can't just spoof the signals going to the motor because uh, the Tesla Model S is limited to, I think, 40 miles an hour in reverse. Um, and I'm actually just running the motor in reverse when I'm driving forward and 40 would not be good enough. So uh, why, why is that real quick? Uh, the, I'm running the motor in reverse because in a Model S, the motor is behind the differential. Um, and so that actually doesn't, uh, with a mid-engine car, the motor is in front of the differential generally. Um, and so in order to fit it in the NSX, uh, I had two options. I could spin it you know, around its vertical axis, uh, but now it has to spin backwards, or I could flip it completely over and run it upside down. Uh, but the problem with running it upside down, uh, it, it still runs forward in that case, which is nice, but the oiling doesn't work. Um, there's actually an oil pump inside the differential to pick up you know, oil and sling it onto the gears to keep them running. 
but now the pickup would be on the top and the, you know, the vent would be literally just dripping fluid out. Um, not good. So, no, <laughs> and, you know, it's not designed to run upside down. And so, uh, I flipped it around. And so now it runs in reverse. Um, I, I got a reverse rotational oil pump, uh, you know, that's just available from zero EV in the UK, uh, super convenient, just bolts in after you spend a lot of time to take the whole motor apart. <laughs> sure. Yes, I bet. Yeah. So, uh, that that's in there. That's the motor. It's running backwards. Uh, the, uh, axles are actually model S axles. Um, so the, the width of the model S is much too wide for the NSX. Uh, so I couldn't use the subframe and everything, uh, from the NSX. So I had to build my own subframe to hold the motor backwards. Um, and then uh, actually just sent the axles out and had them shortened uh, about three inches per side uh, to meet the track width of the NSX. Uh, and then I got super lucky that the Model S outer CV joint, uh, the splines just slide right into the NSX hubs. They used literally exactly the same diameter. Wow. Um, so like aside from the center section of the CV axle, which is just shortened, it, it's, it's a Model S axle. So I know like, I'm very unlikely to break that part of the axle or, you know, that part of the driveway train because it's used to moving a car that weighs 2000 pounds more. So it should probably be able to handle out uh, whatever I'm throwing at it. Oh yeah, definitely. How did they shorten those, those axles? And it, did you have to find a specialty shop to do that or go to like drive, drive shaft shop? They do a lot of high performance stuff, right? Uh, I, I sent them off to a, a specialty shop up in Idaho. Uh, okay. Uh, they cut down and respine axles for hot rods all day long. And, and so they literally just have a form. Uh, we can, I, I don't remember the name of the company, but I can. Yeah, send that's it fine. Um, but uh, basically because I wanted the same spline, it was really easy. I just told them like, I want this axle three inches shorter, same spline. You send them the axle, just the center section, and then the uh, mating part of the CV axle that slides on so they can test to make sure that, you know, they cut it correctly. Um, so you just disassemble it like a regular CV axle until you're down to the shaft, you send them the shaft and the mating part a few weeks later, you get it back in the mail and reassemble your CV axles. That's amazing. Yes. And so the nice part about that is like, had the model S axles or, uh, outer joints not fit in the hubs of the NSX, my plan was to have them re-splined to match the NSX, uh, outer CV joints. And so then, you know, I would have, you know, model S inner CV joints. Model S custom center shaft and then NSX outer CV joints. Um, so, you know, that's, that's a way that is, it's pretty easy to do if you want to, if you have a setup, you know, a front wheel drive car or a mid engine car where you can just use the CV axles like that, uh, just measure the outside, measure, have them cut them down to width and send it off. Um, so like, I feel like that's a big concern that people have when building EVs is like, how am I going to connect this motor to the wheels? Yeah. If you're using CV axles, you know, it, it's not so bad. Yeah. It sounds like while you got lucky, it's a reasonably straightforward approach to get it re-splined if you need to, to, uh, to whatever, whatever, uh, car it's ultimately going into. Yep. I see a lot of builds where people like cut the axle in the center and like try to weld it together or pin it. And that just doesn't feel secure enough for me to like, you know, that motor makes a ridiculous amount of torque and yeah. welds are going to hold up. It, it makes much more sense to just build a CV axle as it was made to be built 
and not worry about that. Um, so let's be honest, we like to stomp on the throttle and and use that torque too, which is going to be uh, magnify the amount of force that that axle has to has to take. It's not easing into it. It's going all at once. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I actually, uh, I need to rebuild my front motor mount because uh, I did not use a stiff enough uh, tube. And so once I played around with the parameters a bunch and got everything working really well, I, you know, I went out and I stepped on it pretty hard and I was like, oh, that was fast. Yeah. And I went and uh, actually crawled under the car and the, the motor mount tube is now bent. <laughs> motor, you know, it tried to lift the car via the tube and I just didn't make it strong enough. So now I have to go remake it. Uh, probably a thicker tube and a, a truss to hold it in there. You know, I, I just kind of, you know, eyeballed it and said, that's a pretty thick tube. It'll probably be okay. And then later on after it bent, I went back and did the math and I was like, oh, no, that that's just a lot of torque. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh, let's see. What was the, oh, you asked me about the batteries. Uh, yeah. So, uh, I for testing purposes, I originally used uh, two Prius batteries, uh, like you know, early gen Prius, just because they were super cheap. They're sixty bucks for a battery, and wow. for one hundred thirty bucks, I had a four hundred volt. You know, it's only like one kilowatt, but that's enough to like prove that the system works. And so yeah. I, I that and like, I, my first drive around the block was with a stack of Tesla batteries, just kind of like loosely held in place. And I was like, well, okay, it drives. Uh, but uh, you know, those aren't good enough. And so now uh, I'm using Chrysler Pacifica hybrid batteries. Uh, okay. It, it's actually somewhat, I mean, not common per se, but I've seen them used in a number of other builds. Um, and that's actually where I got the idea is someone posted like, hey, I'm using these modules. Um, batteries were a concern for me because the Tesla, in order to get 400 volts out of a Tesla pack, you basically have to use all of the modules in the Tesla. They're all in series. Um, and so that's 16 you know, big bricks. And I just don't have the room for that in the NSX. Like, right. Maybe, kind of looks like a big car but in reality it's a really small car mm -hmm. when you park, if you park it like next to a camry you're like oh it, it's kind of about the same length and much lower and um and so i had to make this decision well i can't use tesla batteries i still i need high discharge uh and i don't need like huge kilowatts because like my you know, kilowatt hours my plan isn't right. to like you know go on road trips in this car i, I want to you know commute and drive around so i just need enough to like you know I have a 30 mile commute that I occasionally do. And I was like, I at least want to be able to do that. Um, and so the, the uh, Pacifica batteries, they're 16 kilowatts, uh, but there's six modules to get to 400 volts. And each module is like barely bigger than a shoebox. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. So like, you know, and each one only weighs 30 pounds too, which is nice. So like, you're not adding you know, a huge amount of weight to the car. And, you know, you also don't get a huge range. Um, but so right now I have one set of Chrysler Pacifica hybrid batteries in the car. Um, they're used, so I'm certainly not getting 16 kilowatts. Like, so my range is lower than I would like, but that's okay. Um, but I have a whole nother set. Um, and my plan is to have both packs in the car running in parallel. Um, so that, you know, 400 volts and 32 kilowatts. And then also because you have the two packs in parallel, you get an even higher, uh, ability a discharge rate. Um, so with both packs running, I'll see less voltage sag um, and just, you know, be able to step on the pedal harder for longer. Yeah. 
Well, that and that probably what do you think you'll get like around a hundred miles range? What once you have both of those wired up? I mean, if it was actually thirty-two kilowatt hours of usable battery, I, I think a hundred miles would be reasonable. I, I think in reality, I, you know, I try not. I don't discharge below twenty percent. I right. don't charge above ninety-five percent, and even that, like ninety-five, is kind of on the upper end. Ninety. So, like, yeah. In reality, I, I'm with both packs. I'm probably down to like twenty-four kilowatts, and then I'm using used modules of like unknown provenance, and so like I, you know, their capacity is definitely diminished. So in reality, I think I'm probably gonna be closer to like twenty or less kilowatts, which you know, now we're talking certainly not a hundred miles. You know, maybe sixty, maybe. Yeah depending on how much I step on the pedal <laughs> while driving. Maybe 40. <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, I have a 30 mile commute and in the middle of that commute, I can charge if I want. Like, yeah, you know, there, there is a charger available. So like it's possible, but, um, you know, that's a, one of the downsides of using used, uh, you know, things is you don't really know, like you might know, like if you buy a whole car, like what the mileage of the car was in its low miles and you can say, okay, these are probably mostly good. Sure. Um, but you know, I bought my batteries just as loose modules. You know, I don't even know if they're all from, if each set of six is from the same car, they could be, you know, 12 different vans that my batteries. That's true. Um, so, you know, I've done a bunch of work to like balance them all to make sure that they're all, you know, at a, similar state of charge and you know that that's okay but uh i i don't know the current uh capacity of them so get uh, breaking into those modules and and balancing the cells is that something that you knew how to do before or have you learned as you've gone on this so i mean like at a really low level like you know i i drove rc cars and they okay. run batteries and I balance lipo batteries and so like the concepts were totally there but you know you're talking like a 4s a 4 series you know battery it you know you plug it into a hobby charger with balance leads and like I, I understood the concept of like okay we're trying to make sure that each one of those four you know lipo batteries is at the same state of charge and is fine when you take it up to 96s to get to 400 volts that's a certainly a different beast you know 4S isn't terribly dangerous. Like, sure, the pack could explode and light on fire, but like, if you short it to yourself, like, it's gonna hurt, but you're gonna be okay. 96, yeah. like, it will literally kill you. And so, like, you know, it's a different step to say, okay, I am working with high voltage. I need to really make sure that everything is correctly, you know, uh, you know, if you swap two leads, that's a big deal to the BMS. Um, and so, you got to make sure that everything is perfect uh, from there, and then just have you know, really good practices around safety. Um, you know, wear the isolating gloves, like make sure that there isn't just 400 volts exposed that people can touch like normally. Um, right. Uh, so all of that being said, uh, I don't actually have the BMS wired up right now. I am the human BMS. Okay. So, uh, what I've been doing is it's a very tedious process of measuring each individual cell voltage, building up a table of cell voltages and saying, okay, which ones it, it's much easier for me to pull a cell down than it is like I could hook up a single charger and try to dump current into it, uh, a single cell, but it's much easier to, you know, I, I actually have a little fan that I connect. It's a little four volt fan 
And so if one particular cell is higher than the others, I just hook up the fan and wait till the cell voltage drops. And then my table, I, you know, it's an Excel table that I've got color coded. So if any cell is too high, it's like, oh, that's the one I got to go find and lower down. Uh, but that's just, that, that's temporarily where I'm at. Um, I, I have uh, an actual VMS to hook up. I just haven't had the time. Um, I'm a proponent uh, of using OEM parts uh, as, you know, they were built and designed to be on a car that's got around 100,000 miles. Like it's got to be really robust and just work. Sure. Uh, and, and so I found uh, that uh, the uh, Nissan Leaf uh, BMS is set up for a 96S battery. So, you know, it, it will connect correctly to my battery. And, and then the control, like the CAN bus signals to send to the battery to get it to actually, you know, balance the battery and do everything correctly have, have already been decoded by someone. Uh, if you go to openinverter.org, you, you can find uh, the CAN signals to send to the BMS in order for the BMS to turn on and correctly balance the battery. So that is my plan is to wire that up. And use it. Yeah, that's really interesting. So real quick though, um, this may be a total layman question, but you, what is, what are you referring to when you say S? So the 4S, 96S. Oh, oh sure. Um, so a, you know, a 4S is four series effectively. So oh, okay. a LiPo battery or is effectively, you know, around 3.7 volts. And so in order to get up to 400 or whatever you need, you take one battery and you hook the positive of that battery to the negative of the next battery. And so you kind of just daisy chain the batteries until you get a high enough voltage. So each one you daisy chain in series adds the voltage to the next and the next and the next. And, and so a 4S is four in series. A 4P is rather than connecting the positive to the negative, you connect the positive to the positive. And so that will keep the voltage at the same. So if you have a 4P battery, It'll still only be 3.7 volts nominal, but then it'll have the capacity of four batteries. Um, and, and so when I say I've got you know two Chrysler Pacifica hybrid battery modules, I've got a 96S bank of batteries, and then I've got another 96S bank. In order to keep it at 400, which my motor uses, I will take you know one whole bank and another whole bank, and I will put them in parallel together. Um, there's some nuance around whether or not what you know do you parallel at certain levels or do you parallel at the ends um for my use case i think i'm going to parallel the whole packs together uh you have to be careful because if the packs have very different voltages so if one pack is discharged and the other pack is fully charged when you hook them up together in parallel the one that's at 400 volts will start trying to charge the one that's at you know 350 volts they want to so balance yeah, um, but those batteries are capable of sending a lot of current. And so it's actually considered, it's kind of dangerous if you don't have those packs really well uh, synced up to the same voltage when you hook them together. Um, so that's part of the reason I haven't actually, you know, put the second pack in the car is like, you know, it's not a trivial thing to do. I can't just throw the other pack in the car and bolt them to get, you know, hook the bus bars together and say it's good. I actually have to like, okay, Make sure they're perfectly, you know, they're balanced correctly. I, I need to run really because the two packs are going to be kind of far apart. One's going to be towards the back, and one's going to be in the front. Um, you have to run really heavy gauge cables so that you don't have, you know, voltage loss from the cabling between the two batteries. 
Um, I'm probably going to run heavier gauge cable between the batteries than I am between the battery and the motor, um, just because I want no drop in voltage just from my cables. Yeah, that makes sense. It's really, really fl free flow uh, between the two. Correct. So you'll have to uh, get another Excel table, right? One for each uh, <laughs> pack and balance it out. And then you can hook it up and then you can add the battery management system and it should take care of itself. Yeah, I'm actually going to end up likely having two battery management systems uh, because, you know, even though the packs are in parallel, you can't have the same battery uh, management system hooked up to the both batteries because what if, you know, one cell in one battery is low and one cell in the other battery is high, the battery management system won't be able to tell you that, you know, which one is bad. We won't be able to fix the, the high one by discharging it because it would also be discharging the low one. Mm. Um, so I'm going to end up having two BMSs there, you know, which just adds to the a little bit of complication there, which is why for now I just drive around on one set of batteries and just, you know, slightly lower discharge, slightly lower, well, significantly lower range. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it, it, it's fun and it works for now. That's uh, interesting. I would have thought that the that once they were in parallel, the battery management system might be able to balance them appropriately um, and 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 do that for you, but it still is isolated uh 92 96s systems even with the battery management system in place which is why yeah. you need to you you have to be really careful there too because now you've got you know two different systems measuring different voltages but they're really kind of the same voltage so you need to make sure the isolation is good between all those systems you don't accidentally want like you know it all almost all of the communication between all these things is can bus which is like you know, mostly isolated, but you still don't want, you know, potential at one system to be much higher than the potential of the other. Um, so, you know, running two batteries in parallel, significantly more complicated than just running one battery. But unfortunately, it's really, it's what I need to, like, I, I could parallel the modules and like, then it's slightly safer, but it, it makes the building of the battery packs much more complicated. So, uh, the, the Pacifica batteries are actually six 16S modules uh, together. Okay. So each 16S module and run those in parallel. And like that might be better technically, but it, it makes it significantly more complicated from uh, just packaging and building the system. Right. And routing the wires um, because you're splitting them up in the front and the back and getting them in different places, right? Yep. Yeah. I, I mean, it's not too much worse to do that, except now, like if you have your BMS, you know, talking to all of them, now you have to have BMS leads from each end coming all the way across the car. So yeah, you've got 48 BMS leads in addition to your two heavy gauge cables. Whereas when I split the pack up, I can just leave the BMS for the front modules in the front mm -hmm. and you know, have to try to run the, those cables down the car as well. That makes sense. So, um, and then the, but. I guess the good news, uh, Nissan Leaf BMS is probably not that expensive, so you can get two of those, and it should be relatively not that painful. Yeah, they're relatively cheap. Um, the they don't come up super frequently. Uh, it, it seems like most of those older Nissan Leafs are just still out driving around. <laughs> like <laughs> that's so, kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, so you know, I just kind of watch eBay, and uh, every now and then one comes up, and so I have two now that I bought. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, so then 
Speaking of complicated systems and things like that, what about cooling? And what's your approach to that? And is that itself a pretty complicated system? Or did we get lucky? <laughs> uh, I mean, it, it can be a very complicated system, uh, you know, in, in order to, you know, if you want to use the battery and motor coolant to also run your interior heating, uh, if you want to hook up your AC compressor so that you can use AC to cool down, you know, the EV components, that you can build a really complicated system. And, and like a, an OEM car, will have a very complicated system that like works really well. Yeah. But I, I don't really need that. So I, I've got the motor uh, that needs cooling. I've got the uh, charger that needs cooling. And realistically, the batteries, like if I were to fast charge them, they would need cooling. If I wanted to have them be at the optimal temperature for running, I might need to heat them. But for now, I, I'm actually not heating or cooling my batteries. Um, the way the uh, Chrysler Pacifica batteries work is they don't have a cooling loop inside them. They okay. have a, a plate that the cooling loop runs inside the plate and it's just kind of sandwiched against the battery. Um, and, and so ultimately I can go back and add a plate in for cooling if I want to, someday I'll probably want fast charging. Um, yeah. I can add that in and do it. But for now, I just have a, a really small coolant loop with the motor and the charger on it. Um, just to try to keep those two things cool. Uh, the motor makes a lot of heat, um, but it, it's actually quite manageable just with a, a passive radiator, uh, at least for the use cases I'm doing. If I end up like trying to take it to a track day, it you know my little radiator probably won't be sufficient. Um, I'm not using the NSX radiator. You know, the radiator was in the front with giant aluminum tubes running to the back for where the motor was, and so I just pulled all of that out. Um, and I've got a little radiator in the back of the car, just underneath the trunk. Um, you know, it's small. Uh, oh, okay. Because simple. You know, well, I mean, the the NSX radiator is trying to cool down an ice motor, and an ice motor is not necessarily terribly efficient when it comes to heat. You mm -hmm. know, a, a lot of energy is wasted generating heat, which then has to be put out through the radiator. Whereas the EV is very efficient compared to an ice motor. When it comes to heat and so i don't need that full-size automotive radiator anymore you know a much a smaller radiator keeps the temperatures perfectly fine for everything i've been doing so far um and i've just got a little a little electric water pump uh you know an oem bosch water pump um that i've got set up uh and basically anytime the car is on i just run the pump because i'm, I'm not putting uh i'm not cooling the batteries so i'm not worried about overcooling the batteries and so keeping the motor cool is all that it needs to do and so as long as it's running uh as long as the car is on the, the pump is running and the motor will be kept cool uh and then the same with the charger you know i've got a 10 kilowatt model s charger in the car 10 okay. kilowatts a, a fair amount and you know that that thing actually generates some heat too um and so that's just in the coolant loop and you know if it's parked and charging the pump is also running and cooling that. I, I could make the system more complicated. I could put a, a couple three-way valves in and not cool the charger while I'm driving the car. But it, in reality, it just kind of adds some thermal mass. It doesn't, like, you know, a little thermal mass, a little restriction. It, it's not hurting the ability of the car to cool because I'm not charging and driving uh, at the same time. Right. Well, I like that. It's it's elegant. It's simple, and and it's not, uh, you know, it's not over-engineered for what you're trying to do. Exactly. Yep. Just 
trying to, at this point, just every little step to make the car more drivable is, is where I'm going. Um, yeah, so for a long time, I didn't even have an onboard charger. I was, you know, charging the modules by hand, uh, which was very painful and slow. Uh, and only in the past, uh, I guess, in like a month or two, I, I got the onboard charger plumbed in and wired up and working. And I've been out to a couple public charging stations and plugged in. And, you know, it's been a lot of fun to just be able to like roll up and plug my car in and be like, yep, here we go. I'm free juice or it's cheap working. Juice. Yes. <laughs> Uh, it, it also makes me much more confident to go drive the car somewhere. You know, when I had a low kilowatt pack and no onboard charger, I was like really, really range anxiety, paranoid whenever I drove the car. But now that I know I can just, you know, any J1772, like, you know, level one or level two charger will work just fine for the car. And, you know, they're getting less common. I feel like CCS and Chedimo like are becoming the much more common, like public charging infrastructure, but there are still yeah. plenty of level two chargers you know out there i've got like all the different like charging apps on my phone so i can just like okay which one where am i <laughs> just do a quick search yeah yeah, yeah. so other than charging it there's as you're driving it more and more what has the process been like uh using open inverter and dialing in uh making that that motor behave and uh, I imagine that there's a process uh, similar to any tuning as your, but instead of air fuel mate ratios, you're dealing with voltage and uh, and flow and how how that is uh, interfacing with with the throttle and all or the accelerator and and all of that stuff. What's that been like? That has been fairly complicated. Um, if I were to suggest someone to build an EV, I would. Like as their first thing, I would probably not tell them to go use an open inverter board. I would tell them to, you know, either use an off-the-shelf system like a Hyper 9 or something, or spoof the OE cars system such that you just need to send it throttle signals and it drives. Okay. That, it just there's a really steep learning curve. Um, mm -hmm. in fact, I mean, I don't know how familiar you are with uh, Megasquirt, but this is another semi-open source, you know. Uh, computer made for ice vehicles. And so I had done this already uh, for my Miata with a turbo. And, you know, that learning curve was really steep. It's not just air fuel, it's, you know, it's coolant enrichment and all of the other parameters involved in actually making the car drive really smoothly all the time. Yeah. So the open board, when they send it to you, it, it does, it will drive the motor for sure. But there are so many parameters that you really need to actually adjust for your particular motor and your particular batteries in, in order to get the most, not only the most power out of the motor, but also the most drivability. Um, so like for the first two or three months that I drove the car, I was running on an older version of the firmware. It was just the firmware that shipped on the uh, PCB when they sent it to me. And, you know, they, they tested it, they shipped it to me. I assumed it was good. Uh, it, like the car had some stutter like at low throttle and it wouldn't really pull above 80 kilowatts like no matter what i did and it would uh actually hit overcurrent like it would do 80 kilowatts and then it would hit an overcurrent limit and i'm like this should not be overcurrenting i know that i'm not hitting those limits right and, and so I, I did a bunch of reading and you know people on the open inverter forum were like 520 which is so i was on 5.13 which was what they sent on it and Five, people are like, 520 is really great. It made my car so much better. <laughs> it's like, well, 
I, I was a little hesitant because, uh, you know, if you update the firmware on the board, like if you do it wrong, you could break the board or like it might not work. And then you have to like take the motor out, take the can off, take the board out. And like you can recover it, but it's not, you know, a trivial thing to do. So I was hesitant. And in the end, I was like, you know what, I just need to do it. And, and so I updated it to 520. I loaded my original parameters back on that I had like, you know, I had tweaked some things to try to make it drive better and the car drives beautifully. Um, so just parameters that aren't even like, there are the parameters that you need to tune, but then there's also just like the control loops and everything that's in the background. And, mm -hmm. and those parts, like it is open source. Like I can go see what they've done, but in order to truly understand what is going on there, you, you really need to have a good grasp of like a brushless DC motor controller control loop. And like, this is not a, a simple thing. Um, I, so I, I've studied it a bunch to try to get a better idea, which has helped me understand how to adjust the parameters. But like, I, I definitely am not going to be going in and adjusting the firmware level things. <laughs> yeah. Soon. Um, and, and so like all of that combined is why I would like it, it. It's working very well for me. I'm able to, you know, I'm spinning the motor in reverse, at, you know, I've pulled much, much higher than 80 kilowatts now. Um, and, and the car drives very well. There's no more like off throttle uh, or like low throttle stuttering. Um, but it was a lot of work to get to that point and a lot of understanding required. And if you just want to build a car and go drive it, like, you know, understanding all of that and figuring out all of that's probably not really where you're at. You know, if you want like your, your drop-in LS with your, you know, painless wiring harness and your off the shelf tune, you know, that's not what the open inverter is. Uh, system is that's it's you know this is the mega squirt like every single parameter is adjustable to you and you've got to learn what they are or it's not going to work like yeah. Work well. yeah that makes sense that makes sense i actually remember mega squirt from from back in the day i had a, a an eclipse and some people were using mega squirt on those i never did but uh but i i had a sense of the complexity. So that, I think that that's a really good comparison. Makes sense. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so I, I'm now at the point where the car drives pretty well. Uh, you know, I take it to work once or twice a week, have fun with it. There's still a mountain of things to do with it, but I am really enjoying being at this point where it's just a car that I can drive. And yeah. There's a lot of, you know, work to get there, but it's been so much fun now. It's paid off. Yes, absolutely. Well, that's a good place to be project cars and passion cars like this. I, I, there's always something, I think refinement, um, and with EV stuff that's changing so quickly, you know, who knows in five years, there may be a better option than the Pacifica batteries that have similar characteristics. And then it's like, well, well, shoot, what are we going to do? So it, it'll be really exciting to see uh, how this evolves, uh, and where you take it over the next few years. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm excited for advances in batteries and everything else. Um, I, I have looked at the front spindles to try to figure out, like, can I put a, a front motor in this car and get drive shafts? And it's going to be a lot of work. And I don't I don't know that I'll do it now, but it's definitely something I'm like noodling on. And like, you know, that motor that would be in the front would take the space where the batteries were. So some other battery solution would have to come in order for that to really be a thing that I was able to do. Have to put them in the floor. Huh, probably have to lift the car up then. I barely fit. You know, I'm six foot three, and like my head is like touching the roof of the car with the seat all the way down. So, 
the floor is a challenge in the NSX. Yeah, yeah, but they are absolutely gorgeous. I um I don't know. I'm waiting for the official announcement on Holly as well, but I'm hoping to go. So uh look forward to seeing you there. Um if it all works out in schedules. Absolutely. I'd love to see you there. I I think, you know, that, that it was my goal to get the car driving for it last year and like I didn't really make it, but I had so much fun talking to all the people that are there. You know, not just the vendors, but there are so many people who brought amazing conversions, but then even just like, you know, modified Teslas, modified OEM EVs that I was just like, this is, it's a really cool scene. And I think it's amazing that Holly is putting on this event, you know, even though like, you know, I'm not using any AEM parts, I'm not using any Holly parts, but they're so happy to have me there as well. And so I think it's great that, uh, to have that community and, you know, face-to-face interaction available. I follow a lot of people on Instagram to like watch their builds and stuff. And it, it was, it's, but meeting them in person and being able to see the car, like it's so much different. Yeah, it is a really cool scene. It's there's excitement and a lot of new people getting into it. A lot of established folks that are really like they have a new energy because it's a a problem to uh, and a brand new uh, frontier to to figure out and uh, and be creative with. So yeah, I'm loving it as well. It's and everyone's super nice, so that makes it a big bonus. Yep. Uh, I actually had a guy on, I have a, I have a custom dash in the car that, uh, that I built up. It's a Raspberry Pi, talks can bus to the motor, shows things and like, sweet. it, it runs a web page and that web page, you know, I just like put a HTML table in there to show some parameters and, uh, just make it work. Uh, so I can see what's going on. Cause otherwise I was driving the car blind. It was not great. Uh, you know, I didn't actually get <laughs> battery voltage until I stopped and checked the battery voltage. Um, and, and so I got this working and I, I posted a video on Instagram, like, here it is, like, look, you know, it's working, it shows stuff. And uh, a guy out of the blue, I zero idea. I literally don't even know the guy's name. I know his Instagram handle. Yeah. <laughs> um, contacted me, was like, I think your project is really cool. I'm a web dev. Can he, and so I shared my GitHub of like what I did. And, you know, a few weeks later, he's like, here, try this code. And now I have this beautiful dash that like, you know, it's got a far graph where the amperage is, it shows miles per hour, like, wow, he just did this because he thinks the project is cool and wanted to be able to contribute to it. And I'm like, that's, that's amazing. Like, I I don't know where else I would get that kind of interaction than a community like this, where people are excited about, you know, just building cool things. Absolutely. Well, on that note, thank you for carving out the time. Once again, this was really fun. And, uh, We'll talk to you here soon. Sounds great. It's been really fun, Dan.